Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Sophie's Stories, the podcast bringing you original handcrafted stories right into your ear holes. Welcome back. Happy Wednesday, everyone. A bit of a late release today, but you know, we move. So I hope you've all had a fabulous week. Apologies for MIA last week. Um, You know, Sometimes life happens, and quite frankly, I have no good excuse. So (laughs) this week, I'm bringing you part four of my series story six. I'm super, super excited to bring you part four. Some mad stuff's going to happen, so buckle up, sit back, and hope for the best, however, however you do that, whichever way, whatever way is best for you. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy. Hey, sorry, just a little edit here. Um, I just thought I'd give you a rundown of where we're at at the moment. Um, so after the last episode, June and Jane have um, made it out of Jane's house. They've been followed by a soldier. Um, they went to go and get their mum and now they have found um, the commune where June, um, Jane's surprise twin sister um has grown up so that's where we're at at the moment um so at the moment jane is in june's room with her um they're talking about what's happened so far and um june's being very elusive um and that's where we're at the moment so i just wanted to let you know also trigger warning for uh blood guts abuse that kind of thing So um, if you're not in the mood, that's totally fine. And I'll see you next week. Thanks. I didn't understand what she meant, but I felt I shouldn't press her anymore. I pulled the needle out of my pocket and looked at it again. I can't describe what I felt as I looked at it, but there was some vague mass that came over me as I stared. It felt heavy and it felt wrong. It was as if everything in my body and mind was telling me not to take this drug, not to inject it and see what June was talking about. But. My curiosity was stronger. My curiosity was eating me alive. And I suddenly decided, in a fog, to open the cap on the needle. I pushed the plunger down a little and quickly brought it down into the crook of my arm. The liquid flowed into my veins under the pressure of the plunger My eyes widened as what felt like a strong rush of adrenaline coursed through me, causing me to stand up and run out of the steam-filled room and into the bedroom. I started to scream and I just couldn't control it. My eyes were streaming and everything I looked at was covered in a transparent fog. I looked back through the archway of the bathroom and saw a glimpse of June leaning over the edge of the bath, glaring at me. As I began to shake and attempted to make my way out of her bedroom, 
I heard her say, here it comes. The adrenaline flung me around the room haphazardly as I attempted to find the doorway. I tripped over the soft furnished linings on the floor and tore down pieces of decorations as I attempted to grab onto them to keep me upright. My mind was overwhelmed with thoughts and feelings that were strangers to me. I got down onto all fours and slowly started to crawl out of the room. I had to shut my eyes as they stung in any light or air. When I shut them, images flashed through my mind's eye. I was so confused. What was happening to me? Worried I might be dying, I just hoped I could reach my mum in time as I found the exit and crawled over the cold floor through the tunnel to the original atrium where my mum still was. As I continued to crawl slowly, a particular image plagued me. It was me, sitting in a cold, bright room, watching something being projected onto the back wall. The videos being projected onto the wall were unlike anything I had ever seen. They depicted large groups of people smashing in glass of shop fronts, culminating in crowds and walking through the streets, screaming. They were throwing things at what looked like soldiers and causing absolute chaos. What was that? They had signs that they were holding as they walked and screamed out their contents at the top of their lungs. Why would anyone do that? The next thing I knew, someone entered the room and began injecting something into my arm. They had my arms strapped down onto the chair and began making deep incisions into my palms. As I watched in the memory, the chaotic scenes unfold on the screen ahead. I was in so much pain as the nerves in my hands reliably sent warning signals to my brain over and over again as I cried. When I looked down, the person looking up at me, holding a scalpel, was wearing a set of blue overalls and a face mask. I couldn't see if there were any emotions on their face as I looked at them. The scene then dissolved as quickly as it came and I felt my chest burning with a feeling that made me cry violently. As I continued slowly down the hall, another image revealed itself. It was my old manager, Richard. He was talking to someone in the same room as before. He sounded annoyed. Why did you bring her here? I don't want problems like this in my staff. She's like a plague. Well, this is only going to go one way and you and I both know that. I was still strapped to the chair and feeling very tired in this memory barely awake enough to listen to what they were saying.
I must have then fallen asleep as the memory faded away, but my head filled with Richard's voice, ending his irritated monologue with, You're going to regret this. I started to hyperventilate. Sweat poured from my forehead as I desperately struggled to calm down, even just a little. Memories like this and the one before streamed in one after another as I attempted to relax myself. Every one of them felt more painful and disconcerting than the last, each leaving me with a dose of anger every time they visited. My brain was actually starting to hurt and my body was beginning to shake uncontrollably in a cold sweat. My hands were painful as I slowed down and took a minute to lie down on the cold floor beneath me. I could feel tears streaming out of my eyes and rolling over my skin and into my hair as I lay there, unmoving. The last memory that came over me was unwelcome and worrying at best. I was sitting at a desk with the same glazed feeling plaguing my eyes as I looked over a small stack of paperwork underneath my hands. Specks of blood littered the white paper and I moved my hands over it, a pen clutched in my right. There was a bold heading at the top of the page that read, Department of Health and Sanitation. Underneath that heading were all of my personal details. I couldn't see too much, but I definitely saw my name, address and age. At the bottom of the first page was a space for a signature with a declaration written in black ink above it. I couldn't remember the whole thing, but a few words jumped out at me. Waves all rights, all medical care, and the word submission. The last word threw me into a fury I had never felt before. The sweating intensified and I let out a scream that came from a dark and forgotten corner of my mind. I suddenly felt the urge to be sick and tried to turn over onto my side, lest I choke on my own vomit. As I threw up, curled into the fetal position, I realised what was happening to my body now. Everything was becoming clear. I was having withdrawal symptoms, and although my body was experiencing a pain so infernal I wished I could tap out, I felt kind of good. I felt like I was purging a lifetime of deception that had been woven into my very being systematically by the people that I was supposed to trust. I had spent at least 40 hours a week with these people for the last seven years of my life and they had had the brass neck to look into my eyes, knowing all the time what they were doing to me. 
The lights in the hallway brightened and burned through the small space in between my eyelids and I moaned in pain. A pair of soft footsteps padded onto the floor beneath me and advanced towards me. I threw my arm over my eyes to keep the light out and it jolted halfway through the motion after the injection had deadened my muscles. The bruise from the injection site thumped dully and I smiled as I felt it do so as my arm hung over my eyes. More aware now of what was going on around me, I realised that the footsteps were coming from the direction of June's room. Moments later, I could feel heat emanating from her legs as she stood over me. So, what did you think of the show? She said quietly as she crouched down beside my broken body. I scoffed and my throat burned. She really did have a way with words unlike anyone I had ever met. I slowly slid my arm away from my eyes and looked at her. She smiled back at me sympathetically as she brushed the wet strands of hair off my face. Can I get you anything? She whispered as she looked into my eyes. I shook my head slightly and tried to point towards the end of the hall where I knew my mum was. Okay, let me help you up a bit. My eyes widened as I shook my head harder. You'll be okay, and don't worry if you're sick, it doesn't matter. I felt my muscles relax as she said this to me. The last thing I wanted to do at this point was cover myself in whatever liquid may still be left in my stomach. June pulled a towel that she had draped over her shoulder and wiped my face with it drying my mouth like a baby who had eaten sloppy baby food. She slowly pulled me up by the arm until I was in a sitting position. My torso was drooped over like I was a candle melting into its holder. June held my face up to hers and looked into my eyes once more. Everything will be okay, Jane. You'll get over this, I promise you, she said attempting to reassure me. I still wasn't exactly sure I knew what was going on, but I nodded to appease her and let her help me up slowly. The pain in my head was excruciating under the weight of gravity and my heart was still beating at an alarming rate. As we slowly shuffled towards the lounge-like atrium, June looked over her shoulder at me monitoring my condition as we went. I became aware of the comforting feeling of family as she held me up and felt grateful that we were all together. Finally. Although I'd always had my mother, I never had a peer, an almost direct equal who knew me without having to ask who I was. I was starting to understand why June wanted us to be together. I wondered if it was true what they said about twins. I guessed I'd find out at some point. We edged closer to the archway and I could see my mum and Lindy still talking in the middle of the floor. 
They were deep in conversation when my mum turned around to look at me. Alarmed, she swiftly stood up and rushed over to me. Jane! Jane, what happened? Are you all right? She said as she fussed over me. I must have looked a state. I didn't blame her for worrying. I'm okay, mum, I'm okay, I reassured her. I could have been lying, but hoped I wasn't. My mum took me into an embrace and I watched as Lindy stood up behind her with a small smile on her face. She wandered over to us, placed her hand gently on my shoulder and whispered, Welcome back. She was no longer acting with animosity, which in my fragile state, I was immediately grateful for. But it did make me realize that this was what Lindy was waiting for. And I couldn't understand why, nor could I wait to find out. Mum, Lindy and June helped me to the middle of the room and slowly sat me down. Lindy draped a hand-knit throw over my shoulders and fled the room efficiently, returning with an ice-cold glass of water. She put it down in front of me and I stared at it like it was the juiciest hamburger that ever had graced the planet. Still not strong enough to reach out and grab it. June noticed and passed it over to me, letting me drink like a child from a cup. They all sat down in a semicircle around me. My mom's face was still completely confused, whereas June and Lindy looked at me kindly as we sat in silence for a moment. Can I ask a question? I said in a hoarse voice. Yes, said Lindy. Why me? I lamented quietly, trying not to burst into tears. Lindy looked me straight in the eye and, without a moment of hesitation, replied, Because they knew they couldn't control you any other way. An almost ecstatic smile spread across her face as she finished, and I digested what she said quietly, silently wondering what else there was that I didn't know. After a few hours, and June and Lindy artfully steering the conversation away from what had just happened to me, I started to feel a rumbling in my stomach, screaming at me that I needed to eat something. Lindy looked down at her watch and exclaimed, Look at the time. Everyone will be back soon. June looked over at her excitedly and said, I can't wait. She then looked over at me and mum, her eyes bright, and said, Now you get to meet everyone. Jane, do you want to get cleaned up? 
I looked down over my body and could smell the sweat that had sunk into my clothes after my ordeal. I nodded towards June and she took my hand as we made our way back down the hallway. I looked back towards my mum, who was heading down a different hallway with Lindy. Just then, June slid her hand down my arm and clutched her fingers through mine. We're going to have a great night, she whispered. I was finding that difficult to believe, considering I felt like a conscious corpse. When we entered her room, she carefully picked up the belongings I had thrown across the room during my episode and tidied them away. She turned the large blue lever on the wall beside the door to the bathroom and the bath began to fill up again. I think we need to get you out of this stuff said June as she sat me down on the edge of her bed. I was completely infantilized, but not too upset by it, as I did as I was told. She crouched down, untied my boots, and gently slid them off my feet one by one. I started to remove my jumpers and held them on my lap not wanting to put them on June's clean bedsheets in case they were covered in puke, which I assumed they were. She pulled my jeans off and took the bundle of clothes from me. She turned her back, walked over to a small cupboard door, opened it and threw my clothes into it, closing the door behind her. I heard a low rumble coming from the small door as she turned back towards me and pulled a clean towel from a shelf, walking into the bathroom and placing it beside the sink. The water stopped running suddenly and June yelled through to me, Come through, it's ready. I slowly got up from the bed aware I was now walking unassisted and worried I could keel over at any moment. I made my way through to the tub and stood by the edge for a moment, taking time to smell the glorious steam rising from the water surface. It's Jasmine, said June, and I smiled back at her thankfully. I slowly lowered my leg into the warm water and got into the bath fully. June turned back towards her bedroom, patting the towel she'd left for me on her way out. She went back through to her bedroom and was busying herself with something or another. As she happily carried on the background, I rested my head against the edge of the tub. My body was completely covered in the warm water and I could feel the stress inside me melting away by the second. I simply existed in this warm embrace for a few minutes, completely immobile. Something about this moment was pulling all the parts of me together. All my new memories were lining up and filling in the spaces I'd noticed and wondered about for years. In this safe space, I was becoming whole for the first time in my life. I looked around the bathroom with its colourful, calming lights. 
the cheery but tasteful decorations that littered the walls and the fresh plants all around me. June wandering around in her bedroom, humming quietly while she took out outfits, which I assumed were for me to choose from. My life had suddenly become so colourful. It was so full. When I compared it to my old grey life, with its rigidity and constant forced discomfort, I felt cheated. Every moment of my old life had been carefully manufactured, right down to my feelings, my own memories. I flipped through my new memories one by one, becoming more and more disturbed with each mental visitation. I decided at this time that I needed to get some answers. I was exhausted, but I didn't know when I'd have the opportunity next. I guessed we were getting ready for dinner, and I was grateful as my stomach continued to rumble uncomfortably. After what seemed like hours, I decided to get out of the bath. I slowly took my legs out one by one and dried myself off. My skin felt soft and moisturised and smelled glorious. Wrapping the towel around my body, I exited the bathroom where June was waiting for me on the bed. I looked over the clothes atop the sheets where she laid out numerous outfits. I pulled out some stuff for you. Just choose whatever you like and then we can go through. I nodded and smiled with a small thank you escaping my lips. And what exactly are we going to? I prospected. She looked at me with that same childlike anticipation on her face that she had earlier and replied, Well, we're going to dinner. You're going to meet everyone here. We'll, we'll have a nice night. Don't, don't worry, I'll look after you. I picked up an oversized t-shirt from the bed and slid it over my head. I didn't feel particularly sociable as I reviewed my day so far, but I knew I'd have to make an effort. My old life was completely gone, but luckily I had found myself somewhere safe and I would have to give them a reason to welcome me. Parts of me worried I wouldn't have the skills to fit into this society at all, but decided just to follow my curiosity and listen as much as possible. Although I was in a completely different place, with different people and structure overall, that feeling of otherness had followed me in my life up until this point had come here with me too. It seemed it was quickly becoming a pillar of my existence as a human rather than a temporary state with an end date. Once I was fully dressed, looking decidedly like I was dressed for bed and not dinner, June stood up and looked me in the eye. She reached up towards my face and tucked my hair behind my ears on both sides as she smiled at me.
You look better when I can see your face, she said kindly. I still felt like shit. Literally like I was rotting from the inside out. Think of a hangover and then times that by ten. That's how I felt. What are we having for dinner? I asked innocently. Well, we'll find out when we know who got back safely, she said with stern finality. I hadn't even thought of that and decided to keep my mouth shut from then on. June nodded her head to one side, beckoning me to follow her out of the bedroom and through the hallway, which had been cleaned since I purged all over it earlier. It smelled pleasantly clean and citrus-like, but not like bleach. I wondered what they'd cleaned it with, and who had cleaned it, and when. This place seemed like it was magic, but I wondered when that facade would dissolve. Or what the catch was, as there always was one. We walked through the living room atrium and into another hallway. When we reached that hallway, we could hear a tune from a guitar playing softly and slightly muffled by numerous voices, chatting in a low hum over the top of it. The melody pleasantly caressed my ears as a group of people came into view, lit by a dim, amber light. The soft glow illuminated their faces, causing their eyes to shine brightly and their skin to look angelic. My stomach dropped a little as I realised just how many people there were. There were at least 100 people in the room altogether. I could scarcely believe they had all fit in. June spent the next half hour or so introducing me to too many people for me to count until her concentration finally waned and she wandered off to find Lindy. On the edge of the room was a small stool, slightly hidden from all the entrances and in a little bit of a darker area compared to the space in the middle of the room. I toddled over and sat down, letting out a satisfactory breath as I did so finally able to relax as I took a moment to myself. I looked around the room. There was a decidedly calm atmosphere in here, considering the entire world outside was on its knees, so to speak. Weren't they worried someone would find them? Surely someone was looking for this place or knew it was here. I couldn't believe that they had managed all these years without being found out. It seemed, in fact, that everyone was feeling rather festive. The music was still playing and a few moments later, I watched as the hatch opened up above the heads of the people closest to the ladder we had entered on. The people below looked up and began welcoming a few folk who were making their way down the ladder. To my shock, six large men all wearing army uniforms, began to make their way down the ladder. Strapped to each of them were huge linen bags filled to the brim with various vegetation. On the handles of each of the bags were what I assumed pheasants, obviously dead, hanging by their necks on rope. 
When the last man had reached the bottom of the ladder, everyone in the room erupted into cheers and celebration. I watched as flashes of white from their smiles danced around the room in the dim light. The men walked in one by one, like celebrities. I was half expecting them to start giving out signatures as they walked into the middle of the room. They carefully placed all of the contents they were carrying in the large bags onto the floor and walked out of the room. I assumed to get changed. After the excitement in the room subsided, I realised they had been wearing uniforms. I wondered how they'd got them and, maybe more worryingly, if they really were soldiers or not. A chill shivered over my neck for a moment at the thought and I felt put out, to say the least. As I got lost in the minutiae of steadily growing conspiracy theories, I was suddenly interrupted by a firm tap on the shoulder. I looked up to my right and was confronted with a tall, muscular, neat-looking man smiling down at me with an expression reminiscent of a golden retriever puppy. He had dark brown hair and even darker eyes that bore into me intensely and juxtaposed his huge, cheery smile. He looked at me for a few seconds and then a few seconds more until there became too many seconds and he let out a, hey. He swiftly pulled up a stool beside me and sat down. He was still staring at me. Did he know that? I wasn't convinced. Hi, I responded curtly. He continued unabashedly. You're Jane, right? It's nice to meet you. I'm Danny. Heard you've been stuck in the Matrix for a while. <laughs> Is that the first time you've seen where your meat actually comes from? He teased. Yeah, I tailed off as I looked over the carcasses lying in the middle of the room, being undressed, so to speak, by Lindy and some other women, as my mother also watched in horror. Danny was still staring at me from the side as I looked on to the positively sacrificial activities taking place in front of my eyes. I placed my hand over my mouth and nose, hoping it would help control my shock and awe. It also probably went some way to shield me from the smell of the various cascading innards currently hitting a muslin sheet spread out across the floor. The crowd surrounding this event slowly started to busy themselves, seemingly systematically, some peeling and preparing vegetables, other beginning to light a fire, and a few preparing drinks in the corner. This seemed to take little to no conversation to organise, and my corporate mind found that fact entirely stunning. I had spent my entire adult career stuck in a perpetual cycle of miscommunication and roundhousing every topic until it's back where it started. And these people, who'd been living in a cave their entire lives, had more shit sorted than I ever did. In quiet admiration, 
I watched on until I was gently interrupted by Danny, coughing quietly. I looked over at him as a flame ignited to my left and his right. The warm, bright light shone back at me through his eyes. A smile firmly on his face, we locked on to each other. I think we were enjoying ourselves. Nothing had happened, nothing had changed, but we seemed to be just enjoying. This feeling was alien to me. Ironically, though, I felt like an alien down here. I was more unsure of myself than ever, feeling like a stranger in my own mind and in my surroundings. I couldn't decide if June had done me a favour or a disservice by helping me to remember everything, not least because I had started to write a fantasy hit list in my mind for the past two hours. Danny started talking, distracting me from writing a new name on said list. So, what did you do up there? His question brought my thoughts to a screeching halt. I looked back at him in confusion. Not because I didn't understand his question, but because I didn't have an answer. Well, not a clear answer anyway. I swiftly rewound the last few years of my working life and although I knew what I did roughly, I basically just followed directions and attempted, often failed, to keep out of the way. You know what, Danny? I genuinely have no fucking idea. What a fucking waste, I blurted out. I didn't mean for it to sound so offensive, but it just came out far too fast. Danny started to laugh, almost uncontrollably. I worried he might be disturbed. I had never heard anyone laugh like that. The gleeful cackle echoed between the walls but did not interrupt the low hum of the various other conversations taking place. (laughs) Sorry, I said quietly, feeling a little bit insecure. Hey, no, don't say sorry, you're funny, don't apologise for being funny, he reassured me. Well, hopefully we'll find something more interesting for you to do around here. Maybe you'll actually remember it. In fact, I'm certain we'll find something more interesting for you down here, Jane. He tailed off ominously. I took my opportunity to try and find out a little more about what was happening down here and asked, What exactly do you all do down here, Danny? Do you have a job? He looked at me pointedly as his laughter started to tail off. (laughs) We all have jobs, Jane, but they ain't office jobs. He sat back and rubbed his hands together. For example... This week, I'm on cleaning duty. My eyes widened as I suddenly realised how my throw-up had magically disappeared earlier. Danny simply nodded. I wished I could melt into the ground. 
Would I make a good first impression on anyone down here? This poor man had been on his hands and knees, cleaning up my sick without even meeting me. I wouldn't have been in any state to clean it myself, but I did still feel bad for him. Don't worry, Jane. We've all seen much, much worse. Again, ominous and slightly disconcerting. I waited for a moment before asking. So, why were you cleaning? Because you're young or something? How does it work? Danny looked at me. No, Jane. We all just do a bit of everything. The whole system works on a rotation, so we all contribute pretty much the same by the end of each rotation. Made sense. Next question. What's your favourite thing to do, Danny? I asked. I was sick of having constant heavy conversations and I wondered what made him happy. What would make you happy if you lived in an underground network of caves? And as I was about to answer my own question, Danny replied, Oh, Jane, hands down, it's gardening. To be honest, I was slightly taken aback by his answer. He was huge, muscular and athletic looking. And his favourite activity was planting flowers. I guess I got part of that right. That being that I assumed his favourite thing to do would be anything that takes him outside. I needed more information. Why is that, Danny? I asked. The edge of his lips curled up mischievously as he leant in towards me slowly. I could feel his breath hot against my lips and his eyes searching all over my face liberally as he whispered, If you're lucky, you'll find out. Almost instantaneously, he snapped back to his original sitting position and continued to stare at me. I became aware that my mouth was sitting agape as I looked at him. What an idiot. I was sure he'd never met someone less charismatic and grey. He jumped up from his seat, reached out his hand and said, Come on, princess, I think it's time we taught you what real work looks like. The sarcasm seeped out of every one of his pores, and I swear I could feel it in his skin as I placed my hand in his to let me help me up. He squeezed his fingers around mine once or twice as we walked through the crowds. The heat from the bodies cradled me as the smell of cooked meat began to weave through the bodies that filled the room. My heavy heart christened the air as I carried it with me carefully, scared to move too hard or fast for fear of disturbing it in its now fragile state. And that, my lovely listeners, is the end of part four of my series story six. So, I always leave a poll open. Let me know what you think on uh, the Q&A portion on Spotify, if that's where you're listening. Love to hear from you. Um, for any new listeners who've caught me on this episode, which is part four of this series, 
Um, you can go back at Sophie Stories podcast and find the rest of the series. Um, you can also find all my other series if you'd like to go and have a listen. Um, I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week. Look after yourselves and I will see you next week for another episode. You can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sophie Stories Podcast. I do book reviews and stuff like that. So if you fancy having a wee giggle or you need recommendations for books to read, then just hop over there and have a wee look. But thank you so much for listening, for spending your time here. I don't take it for granted. I appreciate every single one of you. And yeah, I just wish you all the best. Sending you all a hug right now. Okay, have a great week. And don't forget, to stay curious. Bye.